Massage for the body and EFT for the mind since 1987. Contact LibertyHealingArts.com. This Saturday, December 4th, 8 a.m. till noon, join us for the WERU on-air auction. Items go up for bid in groups of three or four for about five minutes each. So don't be late. See you this Saturday, December 4th, 8 a.m. till noon. Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, the Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, the Castine Patriot, the annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online around the world at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host Rhonda Feynman is up next. Good morning. Hi, I'm Rhonda Feynman. This is Healthy Options, and you're listening to WERU. I have a, a, a wonderful show, wonderful guest here today. Ellen Miller Karras, Karras is a licensed clinical social worker, is the co-founder and co-director of the Trauma Resource Institute. And the Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit corporation whose global mission is to take people from despair to hope through simple, skill-based interventions based on the newest research in new neuroscience. And I know we've, uh, we've talked uh, about this before, and we're going to continue today. But based on this research, Elaine co-created the Trauma Resiliency Model, an innovative and highly effective treatment for long-term and acute trauma. And she's also led training teams into major disaster areas for, of the last decade, including Haiti, China, Africa, New Orleans and Louisiana. She works with veterans and service members and has recently trained the post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury unit at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. And in her philosophy of healing, war zone trauma entitled, quote, It Takes a Community, was just featured in the widely respected periodical, The Psychotherapy Networker, as part of their focus on the wounds of war. Returning vets are challenging us to rethink our approaches to PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder. Elaine's work also uh, was highlighted in the publication To the Rescue, Healthcare Workers at the Scenes of Disaster. She did her graduate internship at Stanford University's Perinatal Outreach Program, has been a teacher of family medicine in Southern California at Arrowhead Regional Medical Center's Family Medical Medicine Program, and where she still serves as adjunct faculty. And I want to Welcome, Elaine uh, Millicaris, to the Healthy Options in WERU. Welcome, Elaine. Well, thank you, Rhonda. I'm glad to be here. Yay. Uh, it's early for you out in California. Thanks for getting up for us. Yes, it's about 7 a.m. out here, so it is a little bit early. I hope that wasn't too traumatic. Okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't too traumatic. Good. Um, perhaps we could um, start um, telling a little bit about what trauma resiliency is, some of what that work that work is, um, and uh, and then we can um, see how it, things are evolving. And, and I know there's a lot we want to get into, and and, and, and perhaps refamiliarize ourselves with some of the terms because we talk about resiliency and all of that. We get a little sense of where where we sit with all that okay. today. Well, the trauma resiliency model is a what we call a biologically based skill based model, and it's designed to stabilize the human nervous system and to reduce and or prevent the symptoms of traumatic stress. 
and we call ourselves an integrative mind-body approach because when we are in what we call our resilient zone, we have the capacity for integrative thinking and to be to feel calmer and at peace and to be whole in our mind, body, and spirit. And when we ha- experience a traumatic event, it can throw us out of our resilient zone. And we talk about being uh, thrown out, being stuck on high or stuck on low. And stuck on high is also connected to uh, part of the nervous system that we call the sympathetic branch of the nervous system. And that's when um, our heart um, beat, our heart rate is beating very fast. Um, our breathing is shallower and faster. Oftentimes we have constriction in our muscles and muscle tension. And stuck on low is, is the opposite of that. Sometimes we're just feeling depressed and numb and, and disconnected from life. And after a traumatic event, we can either be stuck on high or low or we can go between the, the two. And so we can just feel like we're not ourselves anymore. And this can happen after um, what we call a little T trauma and that doesn't mean it's all about perception. But let's say a, a child goes to the dentist and has a very mean dentist, which actually happened to me when I was a kid, that every time after that when I would go to the dentist, my heart would start to race and I would get stuck on high. Mm. So that can develop into a life pattern of avoidance of going to the dentist. And so, again, it's perception. The mo- my mother might have thought, oh, no big deal, she's going to the dentist. But for me, it became a little T-trauma. But we are, we're, we're more familiar with the big T traumas like war zone trauma, um, sexual assault, things like that. But I think we need to know that, that there are many things that can dysregulate the nervous system and that we have to pay attention to the person's perception. So, yeah, so the perception then really activates as- aspects of our brain, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? And, as... Right, that if, we, that if we experience something as life-threatening, um, our survival brain goes into action. And our survival brain is not about conscious thinking. It's about our, our survival. So there's automatic responses that happen that do accelerate our heart rate into what we call a fight-flight response if we're able to. But if whatever is happening to us is too overwhelming, the fight-and-flight response may not be able to be executed, and then we'll go into what we call a freeze response. And even though the person on the outside may look like they can't move, they're immobile, it's actually the most activated state. It's hmm. when the, the sympathetic nervous system is, is activated at the same time as the uh, parasympathetic. And it's, think about it like as a, in a car, like if the accelerator is on at the same time as the brake and then you're on an idle and you can't move. You're, you, you, you're, you're literally stuck. So we probably see that all the time. And uh, you know, people are living in that state quite often, I would say, even in not war zones, you know. Exactly. Well, exactly. And, you know, one of the ways that the trauma, the trauma resiliency model was first created is I was working as a teacher of family medicine at, at Arrowhead Regional Medical Center, and I would work as a, what we call the co-attending um, faculty with the medical faculty. And the, um, the, the patients would come in and the young residents would have to report to us about what they were experiencing. So what someone might come in and say, oh, I have a terrible headache, I have stomach aches, um, I'm, not able, I mean, I'm not able to sleep, I don't feel like myself. And so if we were just looking at the symptom, the young resident might say, well, I'm just going to give that person some Ambien to help him sleep. <laughs> but it didn't, it would, and, and that may be a helpful intervention. Right. However, if we don't look at the total picture, that traumatic experiences affect not only our, you know, the emotions that we're usually uh, are associated with that, like anxiety, but it also can affect our bodies in terms of physical sensations. It can affect... Um, 
the way that we act, it can affect our, you know, spiritually in terms of, you know, have we lost our faith in, in um, uh, our spiritual practice because something traumatic happened to us and we've lived a very good life and why did this happen? So there's many elements that are impacted. But when I was working in family medicine, it was really clear that most people with traumatic stress symptoms didn't come to a therapist. They came to their family medicine doctor and said, help me, I, I want to get out of this stress that's in my body. And that was really a seed that was planted for me that how can we intervene in, in, a, in, a, in a biological way to help people get back to themselves again, back to their resilience zone. Well, you know, I was looking at the uh, website, and we want to talk about the, that, and perhaps you can give that so people as well can... can um you know, go look things up as well. But I, I did notice the idea of the biological framework, which seems unique and seems different in, in terms of how we look at, uh, at helping people. And what, what, can you explain that a little yeah, bit more? Yeah, I'll explain that a little bit more in that, in that when, we have, when we experience a traumatic event, um, it can keep living within our body and our minds. Something um, happens inside to our memory system system, and we call them memory capsules in our model, that we actually borrow that from a, a very good researcher in this whole area called doc, uh, Dr. Robert Scare. But a memory capsule is formed inside of our, our body and our minds that can get triggered. And the triggers can be, it can be the color that reminds us of the person that maybe sexually assaulted us. For many of the veterans coming back from the war, it can be the sound of a helicopter. And these triggers what happens to them, they trigger an automatic response of our survival brain. And when that triggers our survival brain, we go into action so that we can just be sitting in our living room watching television and see a, a helicopter on the, on the television. All of a sudden, our heart starts to beat fast. We feel tense, tension. We feel fear. We're going, why do we feel this way? We're just sitting in our living room. But there's a trigger. There's a, a memory template that we are store, that has been stored inside of our inside of our brain to remind us that we were in danger at some time. There's a part of the brain called the amygdala that is like the smoke detector for our, (laughs) you know, for ourselves that when it's triggered, all the same reactions happen in the present moment as when the event first occurred. And so this is a biological reaction that is a normal reaction to an extraordinary event. But what we do as human beings, we pathologize ourselves. And sometimes, unfortunately, professionals have pathologized these experiences well. And what we really believe in as our model is to help people understand the biological underpinnings of traumatic experience so that we can shift this paradigm from shame and blame to really to biology and understanding. Well, you know, I, I had so many follow-up questions as you started talking. You've answered every single one of them. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> the, the memory capsules idea is very, very interesting to me for a, a couple of reasons. One is um, anniversaries of, yes. of events. Um, I, I just want to put that out there. I'm going to put out a couple of things, and, and, we can, and, and you can tell me if it, if, if it sounds like it's coherent. Okay. <laughs> the memory capsule, the idea of, of, let's say, an anniversary of something. Also, the low-level trigger. It, when you have a memory, it doesn't just have to be – it seems like the heartbeat going in that extreme. That's a, that's a big reaction. Can't, it could be more subtle than that. Yeah, no, it can be more subtle. But, you know, these memory capsules will hold – 
all the sensory components of the event. And memory capsules don't just have to be about traumatic experiences, too. I often give an example of when I fell in love with my husband, and I can hear the, the song by the doors light my fire, and I have all <laughs> the, those, those sensations of falling in love for the first time. So these memory capsules, though, they're really designed to warn us. This amygdala is, is really hardwired to say, oh, my goodness, something horrible happened to you. We want to, we want to make sure you survive. So we're going to record that. So if anything reminds us of that again, that in a sensory way, in a, in a multi-sensory way, that we're going to trigger this so that you can get to safety. Right. It's really an elegant design. It really is. And, and the idea of safety, you know, we can see it as a, a real direct, literal idea. If you're in war, get to safety. If something is happening, get to safety. But it, also safety can be something more amorphous as well you know safety is not you know is the the bodies or the pre i guess the precognition idea of what safety is well and safety you know um is the more that i do this work the more important uh, i know that safety is and yes and tragically and sadly there are people that are listening right now that have never felt safe that's right you know as therapists we're often uh, trained to say well create a safe place Ask, them, ask your client what makes them feel safe. Right. And sometimes that can be the most deactivating question. As a person looks you know, at you across the, the table and said, I, uh, I, I don't know what safety is. I don't know what that means. Right, because they may not have had the safety of an environment when they were growing up, when they were children, that laid a foundation to create safety for them. And as they've grown up into their adult lives, they may have brought to them because of well, there's a, something that we call neuroception, which is our our ability to to uh, assess risk. And when we don't have a good early foundation with caretakers that are caring for for us in a way that uh, helps us know what safety is, we sometimes don't know how to detect when th- things are safe or when they're not. Hmm. So, I think you brought up a really interesting point too, and I usually do this at some point in the show, and now's a good time, that if those are, people are listening, this, we are talking about, about trauma, and sometimes those memory capsules can get re-stimulated, so we just invite everyone to just take a, a bit of a breath. Maybe we could, we could actually uh, do a little bit of grounding for, for people. Well, and if you're driving, you know, pull over. Well, and you could, even, yeah, you could even ground in the car. Yeah. And I know that you've been to one of our trainings so that you know what grounding is, and that might be some, something to introduce. Yes. In our skills-based model, this, the, the first skill is called tracking. Right. Tracking we use with every skill. And tracking is uh, really uh, an, inter- uh, uh, an ability to start paying attention to the sensations within our nervous system so that we are able to detect when our nervous system is dysregulated, but most importantly to start paying attention to when we're feeling better on the inside. And so some of you that may be maybe feeling a little activated right now from just this conversation what I'd invite you to do is just to see if you can pay attention to some place inside your body that feels a little bit better or neutral and see as you bring your attention to that if that helps you maybe feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So when we track, we start paying attention to the sensations of the nervous system, of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. and people um, usually are very well aware of the symptoms of traumatic stress because they're like a beating drum inside. Mm-hmm. And they, but they often don't pay attention to what's going well. 
And that's what the trauma resiliency model skills do, is they help people start paying attention to how the body is working in a, in a healthy way. And all of us, and this is like, I sometimes feel like I'm an ambassador of hope. Um, we hear so much in the paper, and I just recently saw the, the, the wonderful special on HBO by uh, Gandolfino, the Sopranos guy, um, and he talked about the invisible wounds of war. And by watching it, it was very, very um, distressing because it not only showed our returning warriors, uh, our veterans, and what they go through when they come home if they have traumatic stress symptoms, but it also showed the impact on the family. And after watching it, I thought, gosh, I'd feel you know, really a little bit hopeless if I was um, watching this program because I want everyone to know out there that there's so much hope because we are designed um, for well-being. And just like there's rhythms um, in, the, in nature, like the sun sets, the sun rises, you know, we have a full moon, the, the, uh, uh, the waves come to the shore and they recede. There's also a, a, a rhythm within our nervous system. And there's a ry- rhythm of healing, but sometimes it can get, as we know, dysregulated, but it can get reset again. And the trauma resiliency model skills, and other models as well, things like mindfulness-based stress reduction, yoga, um, contemplative prayer can help reset the nervous system. I don't want to give people the impression that ours is the only way, right. but it has to do not only with um, thinking about ways to help us feel better, but it has to do with the most important sensing. Because the survival brain that we were talking about earlier, it doesn't respond to words. It responds to sensation. Like I'm sure many of our, the listeners have been anxious before, and they wanted the anxiety to, to stop. So could you say to yourself, okay, stop being anxious? Well, it doesn't work that way. But if we sense inside of ourselves places of well-being, or if we bring to mind something we call resourcing, persons, places, um, events that have happened to us that bring us peace and calm. Like for me, I can think about my grandma. And she's dead now, but she was a wonderful person. And she made me feel safe, safer than almost than any other person on this globe. And I can think of her just as even I'm talking to you right now, mm-hmm. and I can take a deep breath, and I have a greater sense of well-being. But I'm really wanting to sense that sense of well-being. And when I'm sensing it, I feel my heart rate slowing. I feel my breath becoming deeper. And I can even feel my muscles relaxing even more. I, I feel better thinking about your grandmother, too. Oh, well, good. Yeah, yeah. So that's really working really well. Well, good. I'm going glad. Out there. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Elaine. Okay. That's fine, Rhonda. But, you know, and that, you know, it's also, it's really interesting. You're talking about that you're feeling that. There's something yeah, that we're a little vicarious for, grandma yeah, here. We're learning more and more about the brain, and there's this wonderful place right behind the eyes, and they're called mirror neurons. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've read anything about I them. have, yeah. It's wonderful for your listeners to know that, uh, mirror neurons are, you know, when we're, have you ever been with someone and you felt, oh, this person's so happy all the time, I'm feeling happy, or this person's really depressed all the time oh, and yeah. I'm kind of feeling depressed with them. Well, these are called mirror neurons, and it's, it's, um, they've discovered them about 15 years ago when they were doing some research um, in Italy with, with little monkeys. But they think oh. this also has a lot to do with empathy and our ability to be present with other people and to support them when um, they're having difficulties. So it's really exciting, and also to make us feel better when we're, like you said, you could feel my grandmother as well. Yeah, that, that, totally. I, or or that, the, the idea of that safety, of that nurturing. Yeah. And, and that's part of survival, too, to be able to, I, I, if you can't muster it yourself, you know, let's borrow it a little bit 
and you know, would you would right. you say? And, yeah. Well, you know, and also that's you know, I I wanted to mention um, one of the things that we um, that we've been working with with the Trauma Resource Institute is we're really committed to helping our returning uh, veterans, our warriors, and their families. And what we began to realize is that um, so far there's a little over 2.1 million troops that have been deployed. Um, since the start of, of the war in Iraq. And although um, some of those rep- that number represents people that have been redeployed, that's a lot of people. And if you think that, um, let's say that each person who's been deployed has five family members, that could be up to 10 million people throughout the country and maybe more, because people have, some people have more than five family members, that may be directly impacted by having a loved one who's away. Mm-hmm. And um, we think that, and if we look at the, there was a report that was done by the RAND Corporation that gave some estimates on the uh, number of people that could have what we call the invisible wounds of war, post-traumatic stress disorder, and traumatic brain injury. Um, it could be up to 30%. My goodness. So that's a lot. And so that could be you know, millions of people. And so we need to look at, I think, the problem of traumatic stress um, as a public health emergency and that we simply don't have enough therapists to respond to as many people may need services and may need help. So the Trauma um, Resource Institute, we've come up with what we call the Trauma Resiliency Model Community, which really, um, I like to say, has the origins from Maine, at Camden, Mm -hmm. Maine. um, We did a project there a couple years ago when I first met you, Mm -hmm. and you were launching a trauma-informed community, and we've added to that, which we not only want trauma-informed communities, but resiliency-informed communities. And that by doing that, we can train people in what we call the five um, self-help skills of the trauma resiliency model. And we can train communities. We can train um, peer counselors, chaplains, ministers. Um, We can train um, the student counselors at the local high school. In Camden, Maine, we've we've trained the local librarian, and I believe the local astrologer as well. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And and the local acupuncturist. That's right. We have to talk about that. (laughs) That's as well. Because I I know that there's a lot of research being done with uh, acupuncturists without borders and and people coming into 9-11 and trauma situations just doing ear, ear, ear points that have been very effective. And I think that these kinds of combinations are really, really important. So, yes, I, I love this idea of the resiliency. It's also, there's something, um, as you were talking about, when we pathologize something, which, you know, yeah, so something's out of balance, it creates a whole different cascade of chemicals and emotions and, and um, ways of, of dealing with something. And when we look at something and, and shift our focus a little bit to, say, resiliency and the idea of how elastic the brain is and how much we really can change i i again maybe it's people's mirror neurons uh, triggering but to me it's very it's it's like a big sigh like ah okay it is a sigh and we that's can do that when we've been working with you know with with veterans warriors uh, we have a project in haiti right now we've seen it in the survivors of the earthquake there that there is a big aha because i think that when we look at it through this lens of this is biology not pathology it reduces self-blame and also it can promote people to get assistance and help because not everybody is, is psychologically oriented. And we've certainly seen That's that right. with a lot of our service members coming back from the war. But if, if a person can go and learn some skills for self-regulation so that when they're feeling amped up that they can get back into their resilient zone, I think there's a greater capacity of greater numbers uh, reaching out um, and 
getting this kind of help. We have a project that's been going on in the VA in Los Angeles, and we have a group of people that have been learning the trauma, the, the TRIMS-D skills. And um, the co-director, Lori Leach, and I, we met with a couple of the Vietnam vets who were just, they were so uh, wonderful to meet. And they wanted to meet us because they wanted to tell us how this had helped them. And what one of them said, he said, well, you know, I've, go, I've been going to the VA for a, lot, a long time. He goes, I've gotten a lot of help from the VA. But he said, most of the help is something that someone did to me. But this is something I can do for myself. And this is really something that he could integrate into his activities of daily living. And he gave an example of he was going to a, um, a store, and there was apparently a, um, a discount that the store gave to veterans. And the person behind the counter, the clerk, didn't know about the discount. And he said, in the past, I would have gotten really amped up. Like, I would have gotten hypervigilant. I would have wanted to just reach over and throttle this girl. <laughs> he goes, but he said, what I did is I grounded. He goes, I, I put my hand on the counter and I brought myself to the present moment by sensing my body in the present moment, which is what grounding is. And he goes, and then I thought about my two granddaughters, who are my resources, and I really sensed inside what it's like when I'm with my granddaughters. He goes, now I practice it a lot, so it happened in a nanosecond. Oh, yeah. I took a deep breath, and I asked to speak to the manager. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, and after I spoke to the manager, he said, they not only, not only did... Um, uh, I get what I what I needed, but he alerted everybody that everybody was supposed to get all the veterans were supposed to get this discount. So I really felt like I made an impact. That's right. And I would never have done that before because my life has really changed. And this is the important part, I think, Ron, is that he said, and other people have said this to us as well. Rather than that, my anxiety and those traumatic stress symptoms being in charge of me, I'm in charge of them. Mm. And now they're they're reduced. And if they if I do get bumped out, I know how to get back into my resilient zone. Because all of us have a different depth of our resilient zone. You know, some of us are just born darn resilient people. A lot of mm-hmm. things happen to us, and they, you know, it's like water off a duck's back. Right. But some of us have a narrower resilient zone, and sometimes life events have narrowed our resilient zone. But what we've learned with the trauma re- resiliency model skills is that that capacity and the depth of the resilient zone can expand. So things that used to trigger you don't have to trigger you. Or if mm. you do get triggered... You get back in faster. Faster. Uh, and there's another uh, young man that we just, um, who's a, he has a PTSD, and he's an Iraqi war veteran. And he actually started seeking out um, different kinds of modalities to help him because he was finding that he was really, you know, um, finding it hard to be around his kids. Hmm. Even normal kid things would just send him into feelings like, you know, rageful kinds of feelings, and he was feeling really bad about himself. Yeah. So he, by practicing... Um, the trauma resiliency model skills, and also mindfulness-based stress reduction, he found that he was able to get right back into his resilient zone, and it's really changed him. And he feels more um, empowered. And, again, this this really fosters um, independence. Rather than relying yes. on someone else, you can, you can rely on yourself. And it's something that even a child can teach another person. We have a project out in San Bernardino County and actually, we just got funded a very big project um, through the State of California's Innovations uh, Project. And we're going to be um, taking the community model into the largest county in, in, um, in California. And this really came about by an earlier project we had there where they were, we were training some of their workers. And they started uh, ch- training their, child, their children's crisis response team. And they were called out to one of the, the schools. And the little boy was having 
a terrible time, and, and the worker said in the past we probably would have had to take him and hospitalize him, but we taught him grounding. And she goes, it was amazing. He immediately calmed down. There you the go. Mother was called, came to the, to the school. He goes, Mama, he goes, I need to teach you what these ladies taught me because I feel a lot better, and I think this is going to help you. Too. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so he, so he had a great deal of empathy. Yeah. That's great. I, I do want to I, I, I hold that thought for just one second because I want to just say that we, that it's, uh, you're tuned to Healthy Options, and this is WERU 89.9 FM, and we're speaking with Elaine Miller-Karras. Am I pronouncing your name right, Elaine? Elaine Miller-Karras. Yeah, Karras, okay, good. Co-founder and co-director of the Trauma Resource Institute. It's a nonprofit center which provides training worldwide in the trauma resiliency model. It's an innovative model that treats trauma, post-traumatic stress, stress, and is helping to bring about more effective treatment for long-term and acute trauma. And as we're seeing, it's it, it's branching out uh, to kids. And Well, it's always been, you've always done it with yeah, kids. Yeah, I've always worked with kids, too, but I mean, I think it's, Really, That's a great no story. One, yeah, with kids, with, with, you know, adults. And, again, we're really committed to our returning uh, warriors and veterans and their families. You know, um, and, and tell me more. I know that it's been a really exciting year in, in terms of, of the expansion of your work. Uh, tell me more how, the, how this model is being integrated into, well, into the, <laughs> to the world. Well, okay, well, uh, you know, I think I mentioned to you on the phone when we were preparing for this that, you know, we had the great fortune to meet one of my iconic heroes of my life, which is Gary Trudeau from yes. Gary. And Lori Leach and I presented at the um, Women in the Military Conference uh, December, uh, September of '09, And Gary was the keynote speaker. And he came up to us afterwards. He goes, oh, my gosh, he goes, this bi- biological model makes so much sense. He said, I'm going to come to one of your trainings. Well, he did. And <laughs> um, he brought with us uh, a friend of his, a, a brigadier general, and they both were, I think, uh, pretty impressed by how um, user-friendly the model is. And because we can really, we can teach children. We, we've gone to other countries. You know, one of the things when we go to other countries, for example, like in Haiti, they have very few psychologists. We, so we train, you know, community activists, community, what they call community animators, um, ministers, uh, people from all different, you know, parts of the community. And when uh, Gary came to the training, we were doing a training at Upaya Zen Center, we were doing a training for the majority of the people there were, um, were um, people in the um, chaplaincy program. And so here we are training all these chaplains in the, in, the resiliency, in the resiliency model. And I think it sparked an interest in, in uh, Gary and the Brigadier General saying, wow, you know, these, this is something that you don't have to be a therapist to help people. You can be a chaplain in the military, and not only with the skills that you have from your ministry, but you can incorporate these skills that may help the person regulate their nervous system in a deeper way. So I think that really sparked an interest. So um, the Department of Defense has been, um, you know, asking us lots of questions. Have come some members from the DoD have come to our trainings. We just we recently did a training uh, at the National Naval Medical Center for the PTSD and Traumatic Brain Injury Unit. So what people are finding is that our model can be very easily also integrated into other modalities of treatment if you're a therapist, but also it can be something that can be a standalone model on peer-to-peer counseling, especially using the five um, skills of the trauma resiliency model community. We have eight skills altogether, and we, you know, what we're um, proposing is a, a more of a triage system where perhaps we have chaplains and peer-to-peer counselors, community members trained in the trauma C model, 
And then if the person needs more assistance, then they're then triaged to professional licensed counselors uh-huh. that would be able to do the trauma processing with the entire eight skills of the trauma resiliency model. So the so some of the, we we talked about tracking, we talked about grounding, or and resilient right resourcing, right? And and then what 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 else? Okay, so the five, and the, let's talk about the five um, skills of the trauma uh, resiliency model community. Yes. And these are the ones that we believe that we can train children, we can train adults, we can train peer counselors. Okay, so, so this Tracking is, is number one. Right. So that's tracking the autonomic nervous system right. so that people become aware of the sensations within their body, not only the ones that are traumatic stress, but also the ones that are resilient. Um, secondly is grounding. The third is resourcing, and the fourth is something that's connected to resourcing, which is resource intensification. Because that amygdala is so hardwired to remember negative experiences mm-hmm. that we have to expand the resource. Let's say that, um, um, like if I was to ask you, what is one of your resources, what would you tell me? Uh, singing. Singing. So I would ask you some resource intensification questions, which would be three or four questions that would give me more information about singing. So, Rhonda, what kind of songs do you like to sing? I sing folk songs. I do jazz. And where do you like to sing? I like to sing, uh, oh, my goodness, uh, I could get re-stimulated. No, it's okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm grounding. I'm good. Um, I, like to, I, I like to sing everywhere. You, know? you do. I do. Uh, yeah. And uh, is there? A, uh, I sing here. You, know? you sing here. Are there particular songs that you that you like that are particularly calming or yes, um, think, meaningful to you? I think there are. You know, yeah. I think I like ballads and folk songs and and more. You know, I think the very melodic. Very I melodic. Think, melodic, I think, is very soothing. Uh-huh. You know? And as you as you're telling me about these very melodic, soothing ballads that you like to sing. I'm just wondering what you're noticing on the inside. Well, I, th- I think I feel a little vulnerable doing this on the radio, but other than that, uh, <laughs> so there's a little left brain going, I can't uh-huh. believe you're doing this. Okay. And then there's the right brain going, oh, this is really nice. I feel very relaxed. I, I feel very calm. And how, you, and how do you know to call it relax? How do I know that? Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. What is the sensation in my body? Yeah. Um, my belly feels soft. Huh? Oh, I feel like taking a big deep breath. I, and I just heard the b- the deep breath over the. Everybody oh. breathe with me. <laughs> mirror, mirror. Okay. okay. Um, I uh, I feel very. My feet are really on the floor. Huh? I'm talking too loud. Amy's telling <laughs> me, so now I got a little stressed, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I Move think back that, a little. I, I'm good. So I'm what, good now. And so what you just did is you tracked. I did. I'm and, back. Yeah, just and you giving myself to love, Kate Wolf song. I felt better. Oh, I didn't take good. it personally. <laughs> so you tracked, and you all, you told me about some of the sensations of your parasympathetic nervous That's system right. that were feeling calm, and you got a little activated too when you were instructed that your voice was a little bit too loud. <laughs> but that that happens as well. But you could come back. To right, I'm good. Sensations. So those are resource intensification questions. This is very good. Yeah, and so then the, the next one um, of the TRIM-C skills is called shift and stay. And I'm going to ask you, are, do you notice a place in your body that feels a little bit better than maybe another place in your body right now? Hmm. I feel pretty neutral. I don't feel... You feel neutral, so there's no places that you're feeling a little activation. Oh, maybe a little activation. Okay. Oh, a little, okay, so where, where, where are you noticing a place in your body that feels less activated? Uh, my, my right leg... 
Your right leg. Okay, so I'm really neutral right now. I'm going to invite you just to bring your attention to your right leg and just notice the neutrality of the sensations in the right leg. Okay. All right, and to stay there and just notice. That's called shift and stay. Okay. Uh, I'm shifting your awareness from a place of activation to a a place of neutrality or a place that feels a little bit better inside the body. For some people, um, that will immediately make them feel calmer on the inside. Yes. And for some people, if you shift awareness inside the body, it can be too activating. Mm. So then I might shift their awareness to someplace outside um, their body, like let's say a, a color on the wall in front of them. Or shift their awareness to one of their resources and then to notice what happens inside. Or to shift their awareness to grounding. So that's and, all called shift and stay. And, and someone would be aware of that um, and as, a, as a, a helper or whatever we want to call this person, uh-huh. uh, you know, um, would be, you would notice how you would be watching how someone's reacting and that would tell you a little yeah. bit. Uh-huh. It's like when, when I heard you take a deep breath on the phone, right. and I said, I, I noticed you took a deep breath. That right. was me tracking by an observation of listening. Right. I can't see you, but I could oh. listen in here. Right. And, and actually, uh, sometimes I do sessions on the phone. It actually can happen very easily, because as you learn to track and the person becomes more self-aware of tracking, they can give me a lot of information on the phone, and I can help them in that way, too. Great. We, and in San Bernardino County, they're actually using this at their, in their crisis lines. And find that it's very helpful to help people track and to ground. That is just by over the over the phone. Over the phone, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, okay. So I'm okay. So I'm, those are the those are the five skills of the of the uh, trauma resiliency model community, and ones that we we taught in Haiti, and we we're in launching this program in San Bernardino County, and and also we're. Um, hoping to launch more programs within the military. One of the questions that you asked was, you know, how is this expanding? And taking these, these trauma C models, we are working with a group in uh, Saranac uh, Lake called Patriot Hills, and it's, uh, they're trying to uh, put together a healing arts community that will um, be state-of-the-art practices for our returning warriors and their families. And this is one community that we're, we're launching the, the Trim C model in. We also have a, 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 a project with the uh, New York State um, uh, Army Reserve Chaplains, and they're going to be taking what we've just developed a, an app called iChill. <laughs> <laughs> that is um, that actually I'm going to go to LA and meet with our app developer today. But um, oh wow, that's great! It, it should be done by the end of the year. But they're actually going to be um, using the app um, when they're deployed to Afghanistan and see if um, using these skills there. Um, are helpful with the with the iChill app. We're trying to do as many things as we can to reinforce the skills, like we have wristbands now with our kind of resiliency formula to remind people to um, to do the skills. And we've just developed this little pen that has this little flip that you can pull out. I have it's seen that pen. Have you, have you seen I want one? one. Oh, okay, oh. now I'm now I'm into I want. Okay, but it's, I'll it's, send you one. It opens up like a like a a, a little scroll. And yes, exactly. Uh-huh. I, I, tell, I know, it's, it's great. I could see this in, <laughs> in schools all over Maine. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's what our hope is, so that and people tell us who've used them and go, gosh, you know, I was in this very difficult situation, and I pulled out my scroll, and <laughs> there it was. And we know that many of you know, younger people and older people like myself use the apps on our iPhone or on our, our Droid, and so we're right. hoping to make it as user-friendly as we can so 
you can incorporate, you know, these skills into your activities of daily living. Elaine, tell us the website uh, address. Okay, it's uh, www.traumaresourceinstitute.com. Okay. And we, we're, we're updating it, you know, we update it um, weekly. Uh, we have a number of resources there. Uh, Lori and I um, have written a number of articles that are on the website. So, um, and there's also some other, I think the last, Lori Leach was on your program. Well, in, I was... Um, September of 09, and that program is on there. Right, and it's also archived right here in WERU, and I was going to say that it was in September 09. We did speak to Lori Leach, the other co-director, co-founder of uh, the Trauma Resource Institute. Yeah. And so it's on the website as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah, and uh, I want to go back. So once again, I'm just going to do that again. Uh, com. And uh, people can also call me for local resources because uh, a lot of the things you've been mentioning about mindfulness-based stress reduction and and the TRM modeling, we have available in our community. So I'm at 338-4454, and and, and we like to make sure everyone has access to to all of those resources when they need them. So I want to go back to um, the, the ideas that you were with, with that young, young child, and I think this can extrapolate to adults as well, the idea that you might have had to, in another situation, he was so distressed that you, you, would, think, you would think about hospitalization, and yet learning some of these skills could shift the nervous system to such a degree that that wasn't needed anymore. So yeah. I, I want to just talk about how uh, the whole idea of medication, you know, and, and that the psychotropists and all those things that are being used um, how does that interfere with the nervous system? How does that well, work with this? Or is that something we... Well, yeah. <laughs> well I think that, um, you know, as a, as a psychotherapist, I found where medication has been really important for mm-hmm. people to, to get to some place of regulation sometimes that they can even be cognitively aware to be able to participate, let's say, in therapeutic interventions. So I'm certainly not saying that I think that trauma resiliency model can take the place of medications, but I do think that when people learn how to regulate their nervous system, we have seen with some of the people that we've worked with that they may need less medications, and in some instances, Mm -hmm. they may not need medication in the same way at all. Um, We just recently did a training in Saranac Lake, and this is an illustration um, with an adult, and this gentleman, his name is Tracy, he um, is a a veteran, and he lost uh, a limb in the Iraqi war, and he... um, we, we, at the very last uh, part of the day, at the last training day, we were going around the room, and he said, you know, all of a sudden he goes, I, real, I realized, he said, I haven't taken as many pain medications um, in the last two days as I usually do. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think it's because I'm grounding now, and, I, and I, when I'm in my resilient zone, I don't need as much. So he said he went down from taking something like 14 pain meds a day to four. <laughs> And so, and I, I yes. have kept in contact with him, yes. and he said that has really it's it's changed. Although he lives up in um, near Albany, New York, he said on very damp days he he does need to take more pain medications. But sure. by becoming aware of his nervous system and his resilient zone, it's really turned down the volume on his pain. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an illustration of how sometimes you can use less medication. Right, and and I love the idea also of of teaching kids and, and adults, especially kids 
from early to how to how to do these things to to kind of cool themselves out because sometimes there we if if people around you don't know how to do it and you don't know how to do it you can really you know set up a whole lifetime of of that kind of dis, discomfort well i think that's a kind of a dream of ours too is to see these as you know these skills based learning that could be integrated into every school district in america <laughs> you just, know i would love that to happen it's just what you do yeah and i think this is one of our hopes that you know we're doing this project in san bernardino county and we do have a research component to this um this program, which is a three-year, three-year phase program, um, and we're hoping that we'll get some good research out of that that we can share with the country about how these kinds of skills really do help um, people from, you know, childhood to adulthood in stabilizing and coming back into themselves and not needing to be maybe have medication, not needing the same kind of even supportive services. If mm-hmm. you know families are trained in this, that it becomes a, a system that you know, gives to itself. Right. I like the idea of the, uh, and I want to get back to it, of the res- resiliency, what did we say, the um, resiliency-informed community. Exactly. I, 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 that's, that's well, and that's part of our, you know, I think our concept for our, our trauma resiliency model community is that not only do we want to train people in the biological model, help people to know about, you know, how their, their body uh, responds to extraordinary um, situations and that there may be a myriad of different symptoms that they have so that, that not only are individuals um, trauma-informed, but the, the different members in the community that sometimes are the people that first respond when there is a crisis, like yeah. in the school district mm-hmm. or if there's something that happens in the community, right. so that they know what these things are and that they have the ability to... Uh, integrate the trauma resiliency model skills as part of their response. You know, we talked about five um, five steps, and the you said there are eight, and that is that the eight uh, the last three more advanced. You need more training, yeah. or yeah, and when I, we we do train them in our in our level one and our level two training. But if we're going to be doing trauma processing, titration, pendulation, and right. restoration of defensive responses are the other three skills. Mm-hmm. And we, um, you know, we've been informed by the, these skills by the work of Dr. Peter Levine, um, and um, they come from his model, somatic experiencing. And when we talk about titration, when people experience a traumatic event, they, there's sensations that are in the body that can be very big. You know, to give you an example, is sometimes people say, oh, I feel like there's this metal plate in my chest. So if I was to say to that person, well, can you sense that metal plate? That would be too much. But if we ask them, can you sense a small edge? We call it a titration. Mm-hmm. Graduated exposure to that sensation within their body. Mm-hmm. Then oftentimes what happens is that that edge that they can sense, it dissipates the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So that the person then, where they once felt the pressure, they feel an expansion in their chest. Mm-hmm. So, we, so the graduated exposure is very, very important in this work. And we don't believe that trauma healing has to be brutal or we have to go back into every nuance of the story. Right. We can work with this, even graduated exposure to the story, where Lori and uh, Leach and I feel very strongly about that sometimes even the the work that we do in order to find out about what's happened to someone is re-traumatizing. That's right. And many people who come to my private practice and in Los Angeles, when I say, well, you can tell me as little or as much as your story as you want. 
And they're going, really? And they feel such a relief that they don't have to tell me the whole thing. <laughs> and, That's right. And, so, and if they do want to tell the story, I say, well, I'm going to invite you to tell it to me in a different way. And right. I'm going to ask you to pause. And if I see that the activation is becoming too great, as you tell me the story, we'll pause and ground and resource, and I explain to them what that is. Right. And then as your nervous system settles, then you can continue to tell me the story. Right. So that's a titration. Mm-hmm. Um, pendulation, the, the, the seventh skill, is moving between organization and disorganization within the body. So if the person is sensing, it's, it's similar to shift and stay, but it's more expansive because we would go back to the traumatic material within the body. So if someone says, for instance, they feel like they have that metal plate in their chest, and we ask them to sense an edge, which is titration, and they say, oh, I'm feeling a little bit better, we would then invite them, well, what do you notice now? They go, well, I can still feel um, something in my chest, but now it's more like a, like a tennis ball than a metal plate. Mm-hmm. So we would go back to the activation. Right. And then we would pendulate back to places in the body that feel better, and we go back and forth until the, um, the dysregulated sensation has dissipated and, and been released. Mm-hmm. And then the final one is the restoration of defensive responses. And this is, um, does need more, um, um, you need to have more skill, and this is something that we go into greater detail in our Level 2 training, and we do encourage people right. that take our trainings to have participating uh, uh, oh, no in consulting groups. But, but this is very important that we believe that when a traumatic event happens and you are not able to execute the fight-and-flight response, all the energy that was meant for fight-and-flight gets stuck inside the nervous system. Right. And that's what leads to the traumatic symptoms that cause so much distress. So what we do is we invite the person to complete the defensive response by paying attention to the subtleties and the nuances of the energy and the, the, the um, gestures that, that build up in the body that tell us that they want to complete a response. So for an example, a person may make a gesture where they may make a fist with their hand. So what we would invite the person mm-hmm. to do is, what does your hand want to do? And say, so, well, I want to be able to punch. If I was able to punch, I would have been able to get out. So we would have them repeat that gesture very slowly so that their nervous system can, can record the completion of that response. And as they complete that, that defensive response, as they are sitting in the, they could be sitting in you know, my office in a chair, and sometimes they don't even have to make the movement. They can actually just, in their mind's eye, imagine the movement they want to make because the body doesn't know the difference. Right. It still completes the response, and then there's uh, sensations of release, that can be warmth, can be a little bit of shaking, can be tingling. Mm-hmm. There's a number of different release sensations that they may experience. And then usually a deep parasympathetic breath and a resetting of the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And the person feels a great sense of relief. A great sense. And, you know, you do this all over the world. Yes. And this is the human response, yes? It's the human response, whether you live in Haiti, Los Angeles, Maine, Africa, <laughs> um, China. And that is what um, I think keeps me going in this work is that there is an elegance in our nervous system. We may have a different lens and of, what, of how we explain traumatic mm-hmm. um, uh, symptoms in the body, but the yep. way that we respond is the same, and the way that we heal is the same. Yes. And I've seen the same wonder in people's eyes and in their words and in, and in, their, in their bodies when they come back to themselves in China 
as I've seen in Haiti, as I've seen here. Mm-hmm. So there's such a, I guess, again, I call myself the ambassador of hope. You are. <laughs> Is that it just, it, it, that's how I can go into these hard places. And our teams, I say the same thing. I mean, it's difficult to see the sorrow and the suffering. But at the same time, when we can help people come back to themselves and feel that hope within themselves again, that they can have a life again after witnessing such sorrow and suffering and tragedy. Right. And, and then, going. And no, as, as, the, as you, as the, you know, the caregivers also have, you practice this as well. You know, have to, oh, yeah. I would think. Yeah, no, we have to. And I mean, I think. Help each other. Yeah, no, we help each other. And um, uh, Lori Leach and I have been many places together, and we take turns helping each other. Sometimes when we, you know, see something or experience something that may overwhelm our nervous system, mm-hmm. but instead of letting it build up, we deal with it on the spot, and we let it release and then we can go and we can do more work. I mean, that's why we can keep going to all these places. That's right. And really, it doesn't, it's not a burden. I, don't, I think to either uh-huh. one of us, it is, it is a, it's, a, it's an honor. And it's something that um, when I see the, the, the hope and the resilience in people, it just keeps me going. And that's one of the reasons why, I, you know, if there are any veterans or warriors uh, and family members that are listening today to know that there's much hope and to go to our website. And if, you know, they can send us an email message, call us. Um, we're really there to try to provide information into into this model and other models that, you know, this is one portal to healing, but there's others as well. Mm-hmm. But to not feel alone out there, to know that there are some ways to start feeling better. We're, and, and let me give you the, uh, the website address again. It's uh, www.traumaresourceinstitute.com. And we're speaking with Elaine Miller-Karras, its co-founder and co-director of the Trauma Resource Institute with Lori Leach, a nonprofit center which provides training worldwide in the trauma resiliency model. We've been talking about that today. The, this innovative model treats trauma and post-traumatic stress and is helping to bring about more effective treatment for long-term ter- and uh, acute, acute trauma. Um, do, you, uh, do you have some trainings coming up that people could know about? Yeah, we have. Um, well, actually, I'm leaving t- tonight to Asheville, uh, North Carolina. Oh, <laughs> and then I think we have a couple. We have a few spaces left in that one. If anybody wants to go to Asheville, uh, oh Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and is then that level have, one. That's level one, and then we have a level one um, in February in um, Los Angeles, and actually, and then we have in San, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in March, and in Good. Kentucky in April or Tennessee in April. We're going to be out at in Amherst, uh, Massachusetts, yes. in June. And, I th- oh, we're going to be at the, uh, in, in Tucson, Arizona in the beginning of June. We have them really, you know, all over the country. And so I suggest that people go to the website if they're interested and they can see how to sign up and can also call, um, call us if they have questions about the trainings. But we do have a number of them coming up. What, what's your phone number? Um, that you would um, give. Yeah. <laughs> that I would give. Oh, you don't have to. We can okay. do it through the, Trump, the www. Um, trauma res, uh, res, uh, haha, resource institute dot com. Well, the reason why I don't know it off the top because we just changed. You changed your yeah. Yes, and that's that's fine. Number, but I can give it to you. It's five zero five. Okay. Five. Go ahead. Eight zero three three five five zero. Five zero five eight zero three three five five zero. Yeah. Oh, good in Santa Fe. Well. Um, Again, we're talking to Elaine <clears throat> Miller-Karras about the trauma resiliency model. This is WERU. We have a, a few more minutes left, but Elaine, I have a, a great story that I, I, I think uh, kind of 
speaks to not only the human universal aspect of how we discharge trauma, but the in the animal kingdom as well. We were on a trip, and we came home, and we found there was a mouse in our house, a mouse in the house. And uh, we set a, uh, one of those, you know, have a heart, little humane traps up. And it was, it's, it was one of the kind that you really can't see inside, so you're really not sure. <laughs> but you check the, you know, you check it all the time. And lo and behold, we're, we're pretty sure that there's something in there. So we, we went driving out, you know, miles away into the beautiful countryside of Maine and, you know, trying to keep this little trap in, you know, level. And um, so we get there and then we open it up and nothing happens. And, you know, there's no movement and it's, you can't see inside. I'm not sticking my head in there. I'm not that brave. And um, so finally we kind of, you know, gently start tapping it and kind of shaking it just a little bit. And then this mouse falls out. Okay. And it's just sat there and then it shook its left little paw, left leg, (laughs) A lot, and just shook it, and then quickly woke up, looked around, and ran away. Oh my gosh! There he went into a freeze and came out of it, shook it. There and you there go. He goes. I, I, I wish you would have had that on videotape. We could have used it in our training. I know. <laughs> I, what can I tell you? Who knew? It was just one of those little miracles that that, that presented itself. But there it was, and we was going, my gosh. Look, nature at work, and, and therefore it's, it, it, it confirms once again that this is all in, in our system and all in our bodies. And, yeah, it's uh, in the animal kingdom. I mean, it is, and it's, I, love, I love what you said about little miracles, and I think that's what you know, I've seen are little miracles. And when people start to feel like themselves again after being bumped out, you know, it, it makes people then start to be able to live their life. And it doesn't take, you know, maybe I should end with a story that's one of my favorite stories. Yeah. Um, when we were in Thailand... Um, we were working in teams of, of two to three people, and it was the first person that we worked with. And I really say that this little, little this lady changed my life. And she was brought to us by two Red Cross um, volunteers, and she really looked like um, she was looking straight ahead. Her face face was totally frozen, and she was shuffling like she could barely walk. And we when we go into a disaster area, we don't ask the question of, um, "Well, tell me, um, tell me what happened." We ask them. Um, well, tell me the moment that you knew you were going to survive. And she really didn't know she'd survived, and she, and she didn't say anything. So we started working with her with simple grounding and, and helping her be able to sense her feet on the floor. And, and she started sensing her feet, and, she, and it was like a dimmer switch turning on. She started sensing her legs, came up to her chest. Then she started moving her head from right to left. We call that the orienting response. And all of a sudden, she looks at us. It's like she woke up, and she goes, oh, my gosh, she said, I haven't been able to see since the tsunami. Oh, my goodness. All that hysterical blindness in the past. And then, you know, as she looked around, she goes, oh, look, there's my friend coming up the walkway, and there's a bird in the tree. And she just had this look in her face like she had come back alive again. How wonderful. And she was, and she took this deep breath, and she said, "Um, I'm here. I think now that I can go back, and I can sell fish by the sea again. Oh, my God. And then she said... uh, the second part, which was hard, I think now that I can go look for the bodies of my two children. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, again, that this model doesn't take, how can we take away the grief, you know, of, of losing your children? But if you can get back into yourself, then you can do the hard work of grieving. Thank and you. you uh, Elaine, we have to leave it there. I, I can't believe it. This has been so wonderful. Thank you, Elaine. 
Elaine Milikaras, co-founder, co-director of the Trauma Resource Institute. Thank you so much for listening to Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman. You can, uh, if you've missed any of this program, it's archived. Thank you, Amy, for all your help and patience here. And uh, www.traumaresourceinstitute.com for more information. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>